intense message, but it needs to be something that we meditate on, something that we not only think about, but also cultivate on the heart level, just this paradigm perspective of how we're approaching this life. Today's going to be a little bit different. I actually had a second part to that message planned all week, felt good, notes in place, everything was ready to roll. And yesterday I just started feeling, hopefully, the Holy Spirit, and not myself, starting to shift my desire about the message today. If you ever preached before, that's a little terrifying, right? Being ready, prepared, feeling like you have something, and then the Lord just settling you down in that and saying, do you trust me? And that's kind of the mode today, just some notes. I had like this ongoing note system in my phone over the last few months of just this, what has it been, almost 150 days of 24-7 prayer, worship, adoration, exaltation of Jesus out of New Hampshire. Unbelievable. The grace and kindness of God to give us the strength and the vision and the desire to accommodate Him on such a high level that like that is something to be thought about in and of itself about what he's doing and preparing and I just want to just read through some of the notes some of the things that have just kind of marked my heart along the way and just believe that the Holy Spirit will lead us through and provoke us and prompt us into this place of wholeheartedness to him and into service to him where it does reach the impact of every way we approach our life but I want to say this you know worship We've been having such an incredible grace in this room for high praise and worship and the Holy Spirit. And, you know, today, to me, it's, it's never about hype. It's never about decibel and noise level. Like, to me, it's almost, that almost can take away when we drive like, oh, a roar. If, if the Holy Spirit is doing internal, we should go internal. If he's wanting to order things in our hearts, that should be the desire of our hearts. If there's just an organic expression of high praise and adoration and freedom and jumping around, that's where we should go. We should just, in cooperation with the Spirit, we should just, just move and ebb and flow. But today I just felt during worship almost like a lull that was trying to creep in. Uh, maybe over my own heart. And if it's just for me, that's fine. I'm going to adjust here as I open in prayer. But I want to encourage you, if there's anyone else that kind of felt that same, like almost passivity, right? Like just familiar, we, it's Sunday morning, we're going to come, we're going to worship for a little bit. We're going to hear a message. We're going to go home. It's not going to be another nice day. We can cook some burgers, whatever it is, hang with family. I can tell you this, there has like been a growing urgency in my heart over what the Lord's doing and what He's saying and what He wants to do in and through us. And I just want to approach this message because to be honest with you, and there's there's no false humility in this, there's nothing new I'm going to share with you today. I, I really don't have much for you. There's more qualified people in this room to be exhorting and teaching and equipping the body. That's just an acknowledgement in my heart before the Lord. God, I want to see you do something that I can't produce in my own strength, my own ingenuity, my own props and production. Lord, we want to see you move in and take simple words and produce something on the inside of your church. Because there's something when the Holy Spirit comes and he takes our weak human vessel, our tiny little limited perspective on what life means, what the Bible is, 
And he takes it and he establishes eternal truth and paradigm and reality and urgency and consecration and desire and love for Jesus on the inside. Who wants that this morning? Come on. That's what we want here. We want something more than another couple hours. So Lord Jesus, we need your help. I'm just going to pray for a minute and I encourage you, just like last time I preached at a church I pastored, we would do it weekly. We would intentionally as a body, me individually, us corporately, everybody individually, everybody corporately, together, posture before the Lord. Shake out of whatever's on the mind that was carried in through the course of the week, the pressing of bills and needs, relational things, even offense that was something. All right, are we back? All right. Just a sign to exactly what I'm saying. Leave it up to a prophetic guy, right? It's a sign, right? There's always things that try to come and disrupt the flow and the function of the Holy Spirit in us individually and corporately, but he wants and desires for us to go someplace together as his body, as his family, in cooperation with him. So as we pray, I just encourage you, Posture your heart in that way. Just simply say, oh yeah, right as I was saying offense, that's when it all shut up. During worship, I kind of felt that, that lingering sense of offense that robs, that tries to completely overtake every thought process, give a lens to what we hear and see and believe. It says, don't let a root of bitterness grow up because it not only will defile you, it will defile Many. And offense is just such a subtle thing because a lot of times we're justified in it. Real things happened. Real things were said. Injustices were done. But I just know for myself, those things can be so consuming and they can rob what God wants to say and do in your heart today. And so I want to just, if that's you and you know right now, like, that's me. If there's anything that's going to obstruct, let's just bring it to the Lord and let's posture in hunger, dependency today for him. So Jesus, we come before you and we just stand, Lord, and we just know you're so good, Lord. And we acknowledge who you are in your kindness, in your mercies that are new every day. God, we acknowledge you in your great power and sovereignty that, Lord, you do rule and reign not only over us individually, but over the affairs of all humanity of all times. You are all powerful and you have given us the indwelling of your spirit and presence and power in order that we would walk in a manner worthy of this calling to be representatives of who you are in the earth. So Jesus, we just pray right now Holy Spirit, we lay aside every weight and every entanglement, every encumbrance, every sin. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness to blow on through this place right now. Every weight would fall to the ground. Everything that tries to disrupt us from hearing your heart and your word would be broken right now in this room. We want you, Jesus. We want something more than a good 20-minute message. We want the encounter of your presence and the spirit of truth to come and to inform us of what you're saying and what you're doing in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen.
So that's what we're going to do. Just I know I keep laying this out, but just this exhortation out of thoughts and ideas. So purity over productivity, I believe, is a growing emphasis for this season of life. Purity over productivity. God is after the foundational core of the individuals that make up the body of Jesus Christ. Because there is levels of stewardship that he wants us to walk in as we engage the world with this gospel that transforms, right? But there's something about us in our connectivity to him. Being the conduit of this glory, these broken earthen vessels, right, carry this unsurpassable glory in the Holy Spirit. We carry the testimony of Jesus. It says we're ministers of reconciliation. Literally, we're ambassadors for his kingdom. And the Gentiles look on and they pay attention to how we act. The people around us pay attention to me. That's convicting. And that's something in this season of my life is just shaping. And I'm just talking about even the nuances, maybe not just even the blatant stuff, but the jokes, right? The, the things we watch, the things we talk about. God is looking for a burning company of people in the earth for high cooperation with his heart. And there is a cost that is associated with this level of cooperation. I believe that is why the what, we, what we're calling the prayer and worship movement in an unprecedented way, meaning like no other time is literally covering the globe. For so long, it was these little pockets and, and hubs of people that just centralized Jesus and went after him for everything that he was. But for some reason now, I believe the wisdom and sovereignty of God is causing just countless thousands on every nation of the earth right now the earth is literally burning with this prayer and worship ministry to the lord the tabernacle of david day and night exaltation day and night adoration and worship the centrality of his worth the culmination of all the ages is mounting up into this reality we see it as they prophesied in the new testament the heaven the throne room reality if you're going to hear me preach i'm going to bring it up at some point in the message somewhere but I believe it's this reality that he is not only for then, but for now, he's, he's establishing at the core foundation of the church this awe and wonder where our ways in our methodology and strategies, yes, with full effort and sincerity before the Lord, we do because we want to honor him with our lives. But we don't see them as the totality. We don't see them as the ability to create fruit in the earth. So productivity does come, but it comes through purity. And I just believe that's why the prayer and worship movement are, is moving at an accelerated rate all over the earth because it's recentering us to the main thing, first love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. It's the recentering of our devotion, our affections, our desire, the administration of our time, our relationships, our resources. It affects every part of us if we allow it. This is, you know, the, the, par the, the idea of church at large is it's so flimsy in a lot of places. We show up, and, I, and I've been in it, we've seen it, it's around it. Fortunately, it's not here. You've got a, we've got a vibrant community of lovers of Jesus that are full of action, that are full of uh, strategy to engage the lost, to mature disciples. 
But at large, you know, God doesn't owe America anything. That might be a hard statement, but society through the ages proves that when you remove God from the equation, when you add God to the equation, yes, there's blessing, there's favor. But when we remove Him from education and government, justice system, system, culturally we remove Him. It's gone from the fear of the Lord to the mocking of the Lord, public Worship of Satan, music, the music world just completely uh, aimed to indoctrinate a young generation away from God. Confusion, sexual perversion, massive onslaught. It's time for us, the church, to be awake in this hour because the, the enemy's camp is awake in this hour and he is onslaughting. But the gates of hell will not prevail against the church when the church cooperates with God. This is not striving. This is not earning. This is positioning. This is about posturing our heart in this place of longing for His appearing. At the end of the age, it said the Spirit and the bride will say, come, there'll be this growing. That's what's happening all over the earth. The Spirit and the bride, there's a longing in the earth. We need you, Jesus. It doesn't take a prophet to look at the social and cultural landscape of the earth right now and say we need Jesus in a massive way to step on the scene. And I'm not just talking about in the world. I'm talking about in the church. We need a recentering upon a high view of who He is. My heart, my family, if we want to stand the test to the end and not shrink back in our generation, we need to see Him for who He is. Because if we're rooted in Him, if we're grounded in Him, it it causes this willful submission It causes this willful desire to waste our life on Him. Because when we bury ourselves into this place of intimacy, it causes action into productivity in the church. And it's not obligation, it's not duty, it's overflow of you are worthy of every offering that I can give to you. And He is creating space all over the earth for first place to be first place. On earth as it is in heaven, this ongoing chorus of all honor and blessing and power, sovereign reign and rule is yours, is happening in the earth like no other time like it is in heaven. There is a rumble that's taking place that's making proclamation to the airwaves of every region, of every corner of the earth, that there is a name that's above every name. And it's time for me, it's time for us, the church, to allow that truth to radically revolutionize the way we approach this life. Because if we treat it like I have in past, if we treat it in a familiar way, then we just sleep the sleep of death. We, we scrape along and this Christian experience is about abstaining from sin. It's so ridiculous that that's the totality of, the, of our Christian walk is somehow not doing bad things. There's a kingdom, a government that he wants to establish that releases his authority in the earth. And robs the gates of hell for God's glory and namesake. The the reward of His inheritance. Who's going to say yes to this? This is the call in the earth. God is looking for a remnant people that will say yes to them. That will count the cost. Number their days. Waste their life for His glory.
Do we believe that he's coming? A hundred times throughout the New Testament, over a hundred times, direct scriptures referring to Jesus' coming and living in light of his return. Is there a longing for his appearing? Is there a desire for the day of the Lord to come? He's patient because he doesn't desire anyone to perish. But we're coming into culminating times. I believe it. The earth is growing small. Like it says in Thessalonians, that from which God's kingdom is withholding the man of lawlessness in the earth is being pulled back. And we're seeing that. And if we don't fight as a church, if we don't stand for truth as as the church, if we don't bury ourselves in wholehearted devotion and worship before Him, producing lives that are given to Him as an offering, then we're going to just passively go through life and then we'll stand before Him one day. And if you had saving faith in Him and the forgiveness of sins, which doesn't come from anybody's good works or good deeds or ability to earn it, That's separate from this message, wholeheartedness. It's by faith, grace. But we will stand before him and take an account. This life will be over before we know it. It's the torment, and yes, I I will say that about my life. It's the, the torment to the back of my mind in the best way possible that this life will be over to teach me to number my days. Teach me to treat my marriage the way you want me to. Teach me to treat my children the way you want me to. Teach me to treat my business the way you want me to. Teach me to treat my relationships at large. Teach me to treat your church the way you want me to. Teach me your ways. Help me not just waste my life on some American dream or some success story. When you put him first, he adds things. I mean, I don't get the mercy of God. The least deserving person literally in the room, I'm convinced of it, of the kindness and mercy of God. Someone who ran in addiction, in brokenness, self-centeredness at the very core of everything for me for years. And in his mercy, he called me out. It's an invitation that goes past. He's not a respecter of persons, right? It's out. The invitation is out. Leonard Ravenhill, this great revivalist, I love his, it's on his gravestone. It's an incredible saying. Does anyone know what I'm about to say? Oh, perfect. He literally put on his gravestone, is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? It's just an honest question. We can go along as business as usual and we can talk about development of Christianity in the, in the heart of the believer and a lot of good teachings and a lot of good principles to be instituted. But if we, don't, if we don't surrender to these overarching, for me personally, this is where I am lifed and resourced to be everything I am to be in the, in the kingdom. Jesus paid such an incredible high price, willingly stepped out of glory into a human frame, the king of glory, that song, what kind of king leaves his throne to take on a punishment he deserved, he didn't deserve, to give us a mercy that we didn't deserve. He prayed us such a high price, and I'm convinced it's not so we could gather for a couple hours, go to a Wednesday service, 
ticket into heaven type of Christianity. That might be a hard-hitting thing, but it's not. The, the New Testament, when you read it at face value, it's a constant charge in the heart of the church for everything for him because he gave everything for you. Do you not know you were bought with a price? You are no longer your own? That's like one of the most convicting scriptures in the whole Bible for me. Do my choices reflect that my life is not my own? The way I choose to approach my life, the time that I spent. The reality is there is a burning company of people, a remnant emerging in the earth. The zeal of the Lord will have it, right? It says his zeal for his house consumes him. And the kairos timing, the perfect timing of God is demanding and producing it. Let me say it again. The reality is there's a burning company of people, a remnant. There's always a remnant that responds to him, says yes to him. His eyes search the earth for a people that would be fully his, that his power could be de- demonstrated through. And I'm convinced that we are born not to over for such a time as this, to say yes to him, to surrender to him, to say yes to his leadership over our life. The fuel for it is intimacy. The reality is there is a burning company of people, a remnant emerging in the earth. The zeal of the Lord will have it. The kairos timing of God is demanding it and producing it. It doesn't take a prophet to see the cultural or social landscape like we talked about of the globe for there to be seen that we need the glory of the Lord to cover the earth like Habakkuk said, right? Like the waters over the sea. I don't know if I personally believe that the... The growth and expansion of this reality in the heart of the church, the vibrant ecclesia functioning the way it's supposed to functioning, function, producing by works and by message, the gospel. I, I don't necessarily believe that it's always societal transformation. It says that the gospel is life to some and death to others. There's a cost. There's people literally right now, not just in times past, literally right now, they're saying there's more people losing their life and being imprisoned for the gospel than ever before. I mean, it doesn't, it's not a far stretch. Look how many people on the earth compared to all history, but there is something in the heart of the church that is causing people to give everything. And when I'm saying everything, I'm not talking about, all right, Lord, you know, here's, here's my time outside of work. What do you want to do with it? That's good good place to start. But I'm saying there is a high view of the worth of Jesus that is provoking many of the body of the Christ in the earth right now to even go to the place of being separated from their family forever for the sake of the gospel. And I question myself, Lord, is that reality in me? Is it alive? If those levels of testing came upon me, is that the allegiance of my heart? And I know I can't work myself up into allegiance. The only way, and I'm just going to keep on saying it, the only way it's sustainable and it's produced by the Holy Spirit in us is by the beholding, the place of intimacy, submission, surrender, because we see Him for who He is. Prayer, worship, devotion, the Word. High precedence over those places in our life will produce something, the longing for his appearing, the desire for Jesus. Do we sit in a room and just tell him we love him? I can't believe you saved me. I was destined for eternal separation from you, torment that will never end, and you decided in your mercy to call my name in my least deserving moment and rescue me and somehow call me son and not only give me entrance 
into a better place with you, but an eternal inheritance with you in glory. That's what produces a yes. When we remember and we recall, we deserve nothing before him. But in his great kindness, because of his great love for us, he came and he rescued us. The closer you get to Jesus and the anointing, the anointing, we see people with anointing and, and, and we're like, man, look at, in their moments of function, like, oh, look at, they're in the church and there's like, people, people love them and there's platform and whatever. The anointing comes at such an incredible cost. It is friction everywhere you go. It's an atmosphere-changing reality that's on your life, and it bugs religious spirits. It bugs every demonic thing. And it comes out through human vessels towards you all the time. I've seen it. I've heard it from people who walk in that. There is a high cost. The closer you get to Jesus, thank you, babe. The closer you get to Jesus, the same things that happen to Jesus start happening to you on certain measures. The reason I say that is because there shouldn't be no ignorance. Paul said it's, it's, it's earning for us an eternal weight of glory. That's why he can give himself willfully to the hands of man, to floggings and shipwrecking and not question God. Jesus three times, Jesus, the Son of God, three times. The cross was portrayed, crucified since the foundations of the earth. He knew, I have to believe he knew there was no other way. And he said, Father, if there's any other way, but not my will, but yours be done. Paul was tormented, assigned, an afflictor. He asked the Lord three times to take it away. But his ultimate thing was the submission to God's ways that overarched his. He said, I see this far. Small as I can get it, human perspective. I see this far, but God, you see the end from the beginning. So Lord, I know in your kindness, I can ask you as a good father for anything. But your ways are over my ways. Your thoughts are beyond my thoughts. I submit to you more than even what I think is. Simon, Simon, Peter, the devil came that you would be sifted like wheat. He didn't say, and I stopped him. He said, I pray that you'd be able to withstand it. God's ways are not our ways. They're seasons of testing and trial that come that God, in his faithfulness, Psalms 119 says, he afflicted me in his faithfulness. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your decrees. We can't box God into this little compartmentalization of like who we think God is and his love. If it's not in the holistic view of scripture, it has to, because then we'll just wrongly define, we'll start binding the devil when it's God leading us into the desert season to be tested. It's about this submission and willingness produces discernment and understanding. Jesus, led by the spirit into the desert to be tested. He came out in the power of the Holy Spirit. He knows how to produce his perfect will in us. And primarily it's in us, a pure and spotless bride. Because in reality, we've been given a righteousness that we're seen through. We're fully accepted and received by Jesus. But there's a growing reality of that expression through our life, sanctification. It has nothing to do with earning. It's cooperation. And if it's done out of duty and obligation, it's burnout. Who's been there? Striving. I just want to please you, God. 
But if it's done from this place of beholding, this place of intimacy where we're seeing and connecting to him over and over again, it fuels our heart in right perspective. You guys hearing this message or what? All right. Sarah. There is promise from the heart of God in the earth for this hour, I believe. And the eyes of the Lord are searching. There's a great dream that I like to recall from time to time. I think in the beginning of the, the 24-7, in the, one of the first few days I shared it, and when I first got saved, my mom sent me this dream. I think it was from Chuck Pierce. Uh, um, what's his name? Yeah, Chuck Pierce. He was flying in a plane to go on a ministry trip to somewhere out west. In reality, that's what he was doing. He was sitting in a plane going on a ministry trip. He fell asleep in the dream. And in the dream, he knew that he was, he was in the plane sitting there in the same seat, and he knew that he was flying over New England as he looked out the window. And he said, oh, I'm not going to New England. And then all of a sudden, in front of him appeared this huge old leather-bound book, this massive leather-bound book. And it was open, and it was covered in dust, and he just said, Lord, what's this book? And the, the voice of the Lord boomed in his dream and said, this is the chronicles and stories of the history of a revival and awakening from this land, New England. And he said his response in the dream was grieving because there was an inch of dust on it. And he said, Lord, is the story finished? And like a movie, right? A gust of wind from the back of the plane to the front shot through the plane. And the page of the book flipped to a new page. And this old feather pen stood up and the voice of the Lord spoke to him in the dream and said, the pen will write again. And when I heard that dream... As a brand new Christian, it marked me. I knew that we were living in an hour of God coming to do something that was going to confound the wisdom of the age and bring the church past their capacity of ability. And there was something in the core and heart of his church that he wanted to produce to go into that level of stewardship. And I believe that's what he's doing now. And one of the main tools and vehicles is this 24-7 prayer and worship expression because if there's all times for all of us that we're going and it's like the labor and the faithfulness of consistency being in there. But what should be overarching that in your experience is this connectivity to the vine, Jesus. And the perspective is what I'm experiencing now in my Christian walk is not necessarily representing what I'm seeing in the New Testament church. And I believe there is so much more for us to walk in as the church. Who's going to say yes? Quick raise the hands thing. Who's heard of Shamua? Not the whale. Shamua. Didn't think so. Shaphat. 
No, definitely not Shaphat. Eagle. Palti. Gadil. Manessa. I'm not even going to look up because I know you guys haven't heard of these people. I hadn't. Gamali. Sether. Nabi. Ghoul. And then Joseph. I mean, uh, Hosea and Caleb, right? You guys heard those last two names? The interesting about these spies, right? Taken out of captivity. 40 years. They're finally at the promised land. God was just trying to ingrain in them for so long that you can trust me. I'm a good father. I'm a good shepherd. I'm leading you. I'll provide for you. I mean, even right when they left, side note, they left captivity. The first thing God decided to do was cause Pharaoh to go after him. Has anyone ever read that? It was God who caused Pharaoh to go after them. God just delivered them from the hands of all these years in captivity. And then it said, and then God hardened his heart and caused him to go after them. There was something he was trying to produce. Freedom from captivity is step one. But then he wants everything in us. His ways are above our ways. Sometimes they don't make sense. This invitation went out. And what's interesting about this invitation is that it went out to leaders in Israel. They weren't just random Joe Schmo people that got an invitation to finally cross over into the promised land, land flowing with milk and honey. They called leaders among the people to go into the land. They went in. Surely it was a land flowing with milk and honey. It had grapes they had to carry between poles to carry out. It had all the promise of provision, even from the very beginning of coming out of captivity. God told Moses that there's going to be greater and stronger nations there, but the very first promise of God was, you won't even have to fight them. That's literally what was said. I will remove them. But this process of doubt and complaining, anyways, they went in and not too surprising because I'm human too. We all are. I think that we can relate to this rather than being like, how did they come out? And their one focus was the giants that were, we seem like grasshoppers, right? It's the famous thing. Everybody says, seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes compared to the, the giants in the land. And it just spoke about their perspective, but it said something about Caleb and Joshua. That he was a man with a different spirit. They all grew up in generational captivity. Think of the... The nat just the roots of what that would produce generationally in people. No wonder they complained. They were in captivity for what, 400 years? Every generation before them. No wonder they were complainers. All they knew was hardship. All they knew was captivity. But Caleb and Joshua somehow, growing up in the same environment as all these other people, somehow captured the promise of God and believed 20% have responded. 20% have responded. They went into the, the promised land, and Joshua and Caleb, they saw rightly. They believed rightly. In despite of what their natural eyes see, something trumped that. Their vision of who God was and what he said. To the point where they finally came back, and the people were getting so mad that they kept pointing back to God as they were devising a plan to go back to captivity, that they started to gnash their teeth at them. They wanted to kill them. But they wouldn't back down. They believed God even in the face of such hardship. 
is this. Was anyone at the 20-year anniversary for the crossing? A few of you. I shared a little uh, memory that I had at the crossing way back when I was maybe an intern or maybe first married or something. Um, and I was staying there in worship. We were in a school somewhere. And um, I saw my nephew, Ian, over in the corner. And it was his birthday. Someone told me, oh, it's Ian's birthday today. He's like eight years old or something. And I saw him just kind of lingering around the candy machine, you know, just wanting something. And he had nothing. So I call him over. I'm like, Ian, what's up, man? Happy birthday. Da, da, da. So I reached my pocket to get a dollar. Like, hey, go get some candy. I had a $20 bill. That's it. So I'm like, yeah, you know what? Go get ch- he'll go get change for this 20 bucks. And he just looked at the 20. Oh, thanks, Uncle Noah. And he runs over to the machine and he starts to slide it, slide it in the machine. I run over, I'm like, whoa, Ian, no, no, you're going to lose your 20 bucks. You know, one thing for 20 bucks. If, if you could just wait, if you could be patient, trust me, if you could just be patient just a little bit, after church, your mom will bring you to the dollar store, you get 20 of those. And that eight-year-old kid just looked at me with this valuable thing in his hand that he wasn't ready to steward yet, and he was just like, 20 things in an hour or one thing now? One thing now. Snatched the 20 bucks back out of his hand, like, you're not ready for this 20 bucks. But it was a picture the Lord unfolded to me eventually about stewardship, that he wants such high levels of cooperation and function out of the church, but purity before productivity. And it's not like a quick work. It's not like this instantaneous season of three months. This, this has been, I've been feeling the sense of this for, for years now, for literally years, five, six years. This message I've been preaching about just this overwhelming sense, the positioning of the church, because we're going to walk into days that are going to come upon us when we least expect it, where the awe and wonder of God's power is demonstrated among us. I believe that wholeheartedly. Whether you believe it or not, it doesn't matter. History proves all throughout history that God shows up on the scene of some of the most difficult times and least deserving for humanity to, to receive God the way he decides to show up and show, show off. The Jesus movement was a recent one, right? There was such sexual freedom going on. There was a sexual revolution that was taking place in our country. And God showed up in that and revealed himself in a powerful way. And so many people came in. There was so much that the church was like, look what's happening to the world. Rightly so. We're losing our kids. And in a moment, God used the young people bound in the very thing people were afraid of and raised them up like Moses is and sent them back in. A lot of you guys in the movies recent. I believe that's coming soon to us with this. I know God's not standing back. So many of these people in the gender confusion, in the hypersexualization of this, the youth of this country, he's, he's not just standing back angry-fisted. There's compassion and slow to anger, merciful God, seeing a people that have not heard and have not seen him that he has been misrepresented to. And I believe that there is a zeal in him about to demonstrate his power and reveal to the powers of the air who, is, who has the final authority. And there is a harvest of souls coming into the church. And this is why this message is important. Are we ready? Not an intellectual assent of who God is and how he operates. It's so important to have those foundational truths. I'm not saying that. It's spirit and truth. It's both, and it can't be one or the other. It literally cannot be one or the other. When it's just spirit, it gets weird. (laughs) It's 
start going into all type of extra biblical stuff and unfruitful and man devising, just whatever the byproduct of the season with God is, it must be God. And you get craziness. And if it's all truth, you get knowledge that puffs up and staleness and just intellectual assent and religious spirit. Has to be both, has to be connectivity to the vine and the searching of his words. The searching of His truth. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that you are? Who do you say that the church is? It has to be the marriage of this thing. And that's where we're at, I believe. I'm saying to Sean, I love the first principles and the prayer moving, colliding in the Spirit. The first love married to the high pursuit of the truth of God and the administration of His kingdom in the earth. There's going to be a powerful byproduct. This is the preparation that's happening. This is a sign among this community. I believe that full-heartedly. It's time to bow our hearts. It's time for me to bow my hearts, my, my thoughts about who God is. It's not that I reject truth. It's, it's just saying, God, your perspective, I want to be entrenched in your perspective. And guess what? Those prayers get answered. He starts to change our desires. When we ask, Lord, I bow my emotions. I bow my past experiences. I bow my offenses. I bow my high and lofty thinking of who I think you are. My little 60-year period of life, 80-year, 100-year period of life. I bow it. You are eternal. I want you and nothing else. Shape me. Mold me. Prove who you are through this and through my life, God. He wants it. And there's always people that say yes to it. There's always people that lean in. That was one of the most impressive things coming back to the crossing after some years is just seeing a willingness, a massive shift as God stepped on the scene and just kind of birthed this oasis, drawing people to intimacy. Everything shifted. There was accommodation. That's not a common thing that when God just prophetically shows up or, or significantly shows up in a Sunday morning and there's a call, who will say yes to him? Sean, the accommodation, that, that word. And a corporate body says yes. And here we are, hundred whatever it is, 50 days later. I think it's a powerful demonstration of the culture that's here. The willingness for God to move and do what He wants to do, that's here. But if you're not one that has yet married this burning, living reality of personal devotion to Jesus with this other place, I want to encourage you. I love, Rob, what you said in that video. It was my favorite part of the whole video about coming back to intimacy. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, the foundational cornerstone of everything, Jesus. We are made for you. We are made for your praise. All things were given to you, all through you and all for you, all by you. It's all you, Jesus. That's right. In every effort, every act of service, every sacrifice is all done from this living, vibrant burning reality where it sustains us to go the distance, not just here in the American church system, but wherever he calls you, there's something that will cause you to go past human understanding. Jesus, all right, we'll wrap this up.
just this statement, Jesus is not an accessory to our life. I know I'm just, this hammer is going left and right here. And it's, that's why I'm trying so hard. I'm trying so hard to constantly point back to the thing that makes it all joyfully submission to him. Where it's not work, it's not striving. Even in the death, it's joyful. We see him, we see the bigger picture. It's not about me. The centrality of the gospel is not Noah. The centrality of the gospel is not the crossing. It's not here. The centrality of the gospel is Jesus in his administration and function, demonstration of who he is, is through the church. But it starts with him. And then it represents through us. But it has to start with him to represent rightly through us. Amen? And that's why what is happening is something to take a hold of it. It's time to come back to the simplicity of devotion, adoration. It produces good works, wholeheartedness, submission. The days of information for information's sake and the are coming to an end. In the days of experiential Christianity, the demonstration of the living reality of Jesus through his church is coming. The church is going to come out of anemic place, scraping by, scraping by. He's going to surprise us all with the least of these getting raised up in great power out of the place of submission. Who's going to say yes? 20%? Hopefully more. Are you numbering? Am I, am I numbering my days? Am I evaluating the pursuits and passions of my life? Am I doing it through the lens of seeing his worth? All the questions that we should be going home with today. You're worth it, Jesus. You're worth it. What's that? Remind me, my brain is ridiculous. I know. It's back to simplicity of devotion and adoration that produces good work and hold hardness. Submission. The days of just information for information's sake, intellectual pursuit are coming to an end, but the days of experiential Christianity and the demonstration of his kingdom are going to break in among us. The church is anemic, and we have all the wealth of Bible knowledge in the world at our fingertips, in our phones, or in our computers. Literally anything you want to know in truth is right before you. But for some reason, we're scraping by when the church is supposed to be the glorious expression of his heart in the earth. And we don't earn our way into it, but there's a level of stewardship. Throw 20 bucks on an eight-year-old kid, they want to just squander it. You want God to pour out? We want God to pour out in here and add numbers that put us beyond our capacity? It's going to take the stewardship of submission. It's His glory. It's His namesake that He's after. And that's why what's happening is happening. Are we approaching our life with the grip on it? The more I loosen, this is no boast. I mean, I honestly feel like I don't know how I am at where I'm at in my life. I went, didn't even finish freshman year in high school. <laughs> I, was, I was just a rebellious kid against everything. Went to three different high schools, got kicked out of everywhere. And the more I open my hand to Jesus, the more it seems like he puts in. And it's unfair to me. I, I say that with like my children, blessed with a family, never thought I would ever be able to have any type of... It's the mercy of God. 
the mercy of God. Pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness. These other things, they're not even, and whatever he desires to do, he's going to do. But I'll tell you this, it's not some American gospel of prosperity. That's just cultural. That only fits our time and space. Go preach that message to the underground church in Iran. Go preach that message to Mozambique, Africa. People that don't know where their next meal is coming from. If that prosperity gospel was the truth, it would transcend time and space. He's after our hearts. And we are living in a very incredibly fortunate time. But I don't want, I feel like the zeal of my heart, getting closer and closer to Jesus, is growing that the American church wouldn't miss it. That we wouldn't sleep the sleep of death because of our comforts and our ease. But that we would establish ourselves in the living reality of who He is. And out of that, give a wholehearted offering on the altar of sacrifice to Him. It's all yours, Jesus. It's all for your glory. Yeah, listen, let's just, let's just respond to this. I, I, you know, for some of you who are more linear and less mosaic, um, I just wanted to kind of, I thought it was really clear what he was saying, um, and, he, and he kind of set a buffet, like all different points and principles, and it just, I was like, this is such good stuff. And it all comes back to the simplicity of devotion, like he said, and this question, are we ready for the harvest? Like, we are in a season of preparation where he is trying to prepare his church to be able to handle that $20 bill, the proverbial $20 bill, right? He's like saying, you know, I have things of great, precious, costly value. I don't know that you're ready yet to handle them. Will you take what I've given you and steward it so that I can entrust you with the valuable things? And, and I am in full agreement with what he said. Like we, I truly believe we are trying to be prepared to handle these costly things of the Lord. Like folks, what we're experiencing now, I want you to understand, what we're experiencing is nothing compared to what he has on his agenda. You guys understand that, right? How many of you feel we are like walking in the book of Acts right now, fully? Couple people, but like as, as a whole church, I don't think so. Like we all have to come to a place of devoting our hearts. It's about the heart, right? And then the one thing that I think is important is, you know, for those of you who are very high responsibility driven, right? wanting to do things the right way and feel like you have to fully just walk after the Lord with 100%. It's about the heart. Like, it's not what you're doing as much as or in tandem with how you're doing it. And if you are like, I'm just going to do it this terrible, I can't stand this. Like, with an attitude. And, like, I don't know about you, but how many of you have been, like, being kind of pushed by the Lord and provoked to have good attitudes and joy in your heart while you're doing these things. Anyone or just me? Because he's been all over my case about my attitude, how I do things, what's down in here, even if I don't let it out. 
What's in your heart? What's, what's prompting you to do things that you're doing? Do you have a submissive heart? Are you filled with joy? Like even when you're doing these things that he was talking about, preparation, devotion to the Lord. What's in here? What's in your ticker? It's not really a ticker. It's a spiritual ticker. So let's go after this. Let's Don't resist the Lord because, you know, that's the worst case when you're kicking and screaming against the Lord and he's like, I'm just trying to help you out here. Will you resist me? Do I have to go to alternative measures? Which is really kind of letting you go your way and then you end up in a really bad mess and then you say, God, help! Well, I've tried to keep you out of this pitfall. Folks, it's a, like it's a harder season, but I'm telling you, we got to focus on what he's doing and not the difficulty of the season of where he's challenging our hearts. The challenge of our hearts, that's not the focus. The focus is so that we can be liberated from ourselves to be able to actually enjoy the incredible exploits of the Lord. Like seriously, he is not out to torment you. He's out to set you free from yourself so that you can actually experience the wonder and joy and incredible unlimited demonstration of God's power to those who believe. Okay. Let's just respond to him. Hey, listen, did this hit anyone's heart? I mean, I don't, I'm just, don't patronize, but like, I just want to see as a, as a thermometer, like a litmus test, how many of you really were like something touched off in your heart awesome thank you lord thank you for touching us so now let's just respond to him and by the way um i want to ask for just a few prayer points here and then we're just going to respond but one um let's really focus in our prayer blocks right praying through ephesians 1 2 and 3 This is all about like our eyes being enlightened, our hearts being prepared, us being built together as a a living temple. Like these aspects that we are filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Like can we go after that? Like listen, and for those of you who are, are new and you're just like, oh, I'm not really sure how to do this, just read Ephesians 1 and then pray a little bit about it. Read Ephesians 2. Pray a little bit about it. And just some of you, I want to challenge you, just jump in. Jump in. Like you can do it. You can read and it doesn't even have to be very sensible. I mean like you can stutter and you can stammer around. God is looking at your heart, your initiative, your stepping out and but let's pray along those lines and let's Let's also, folks, try to start taking a little bit of a long-term vision here. Try not to just look at the day we're in. Try to look ahead, because I know this. I know there's a core that's like carrying the burden of stewarding what he is doing. And some of them are getting a little weary. I want to give them a break. So just step out a few days ahead. Let's try to get like a few days ahead covered and steward that. And like... Bring a little bit of peace to some of the coordinators that are like, they're literally setting their alarm to check if a block has been covered 
So they wake themselves up in the middle of the night to check to see if they have to come down and drive and cover it. Like, that's, that's called responsibility and stewardship and owning something. And so I'm saying, like, let's do that as a body. Let's, there is so many people here. And if we would just kind of work to push it into the next gear a few days ahead, just take some of the, the burden of the people who are saying, like, I am going to do whatever is necessary to steward this as a community. And if it means me having to wake up at 1.30 to see if the two is covered. So let's work together. Let's try to, like, go a few days ahead instead of just, we kind of live day by day. Let's try to, and I know there's planners out there. <laughs> so you can plan like, well, I can't commit right now, but I commit in two days. It's made for you. <laughs> Schedule's out there. Father, we just thank you for Noah. We thank you for what you're, you've spoken. And Lord, above all this, we thank you for your word that is coming out clearly, regardless of who is speaking it. It is coming out repetitively, clearly, week after week, saying, people, prepare your hearts for me. I want to abide and live in you and move in you. And I want to use you for one of the greatest harvests this earth has ever seen. And Father, we say, yes, possess us. Abide in us. Fill us with all manner of goodness. Fill our families. Transform our families. Let them be testimonies of your greatness, of your shining, radiant love for humanity. Let it be, Lord. Overcome us. Take us over. Come on, just respond to him right now. Whatever he's speaking to you, just respond. Respond.